In Numbers chapter 10, now I'm gonna read it. It may not make a lot of sense to you when I read it, but you're just gonna have to allow me to break it down a little bit to you today. In Numbers chapter 10 and verse 29, and Moses said unto Hobab, Hobab is his father-in-law, Hobab the son of Ragel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. We are journeying unto the place which the Lord has said, I will give it you. How many of you are saved today? We are journeying unto the place which the Lord said, I will give it you. I think that's got to soak in a little more. I think we forget what God does for us when we're saved. We start a journey and that's really what this message is called, the journey, because it is a journey. You don't get saved one minute and heaven the next. There's some people that they're right on the edge of making their crossing, but most of us have a journey to go through and we are journeying, the Bible says, unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Hmm. Come thou with us. If you couldn't raise your hand a minute ago that you're saved, come thou with us. And we will do thee good, for the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto, the, unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. And he said, leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if thou go with us, yea, it shall be, that what goodness of the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. I wanna just think about this journey that Moses is taking with the people of God. They've been in slavery for 430 years. That's a long time to be bound. They went in as 70, and now they've come out as a multitude of people. The numbers vary if you look historically. The numbers are all over the board as to how many of them actually came out. But during that period of time, some strange things happen. They're in slavery, and they're working for the Egyptians. It's a joint venture but they gain favor in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all the Egyptians. And God begins to help them and to guide them and bless them. And through this process of time, they are preparing to leave, but God, when it all starts, gives Moses the plan. Now here's the part of it that I, I don't hear much preaching or teaching about. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three, they're getting ready to leave in verse 20. Exodus chapter three and verse 20. God's getting ready to send the plagues on Egypt to change Pharaoh's heart and mind. Don't ever make God force you to do something. 
Don't make it so that God has to be hard on you. In the end, you still have the choice. He can lead you and say, this is what you ought to do and make it hard on you not to do it. But you can still not do it. And that's where he was at. Look down in verse 20 of chapter three of Exodus. And I, this is the Lord speaking. And I will stretch out mine hand and smite Egypt with all, all, with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he, referring to Pharaoh, will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass when you go, what's the next phrase? You shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Go on over to chapter 12. Just flip over a few pages. Chapter 12. God commanded them to do that in chapter three. In chapter 12 and verse 35 we read, and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed, hold on now. And they borrowed, Exodus 12, 35. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they lent unto them. Are you getting the picture? They borrow it from the Egyptians and the Egyptians say these are good people and they lend it unto them such things as they required and they spoiled the Egyptians. By the time you get to Psalm 105, 37, the Bible refers to the Lord bringing them out and he said he brought them forth with silver and gold and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Now, there's two or three things I want you to see here. First of all, you got to see where they're coming from. They're coming from Egypt. They've been there 430 years. And before they leave, God says, before you get out, you go to the Egyptian neighbors and you say, hey, would you loan me that gold necklace? Will you loan me that gold and silver jewelry that you have? When they get the jewelry, they put the jewelry on their children. So this is a picture of them passing things on, the blessings to the next generation. But they have borrowed them. They didn't give it to them, they loaned it to them. But yet God says when he brought them out, he brought them out with silver and gold. There wasn't a feeble person among any of the tribe when they make their journey out, they come out with all of this silver and gold. Have you ever thought about where they got the gold when they made the golden calf? Where did it come from? Because they were wealthy. There's some historians said that they had so much wealth when they came out that the children's backs were bowed or bent a little bit trying to carry all the silver and all the gold that they had with them when they came out. So it's not only what they came out, it is the fact it's what they're going with they're not running on empty. When you leave Egypt and you start on the journey to heaven, God doesn't let you make the journey empty. He gives you everything that you need for the journey. But now wait a minute, we've got a problem. In fact, you may not know this. Did you know that the Egyptians back in history many years ago, that they sued the Jews for reparations? 
They said, since they took our gold and silver and never paid us back, we're suing them for the wealth of all of that. The Jews, represented by the attorneys they had, they filed a countersuit saying we had 600,000 people that worked for you for 430 years and you never paid them. And that accruing with interest is way more than what you're wanting and they dropped the suit. But here's the fact, they borrowed it. They borrowed it from the Egyptians. They borrowed it from the world. What they had, they got from the world, but they still owed the world for it. But do you realize that when you borrow something from somebody and if they have no kinfolk, if they die, you don't owe anything anymore? When they get to the Red Sea and the sea parts by the power of God and the sea comes in and drowns the Egyptians, who do they borrow the silver and gold from? The Egyptians. They're all dead. They're nobody to pay back. God canceled the debt in the Red Sea. If you're on this journey, it's because you owed a debt that you could not pay. But hallelujah, God parted the seas and he let us go through Calvary's blood. And when we got in the fountain of the blood, it destroyed the enemy and canceled the debt. So now it's all theirs, but they've got a problem. They still gotta make a trip with what God gave them. And they don't know how to get through the wilderness. Now Moses knows something about the wilderness. His father-in-law Jethro is a Midianite. This Midianite, where'd the Midianites come from? You ever think about that? Where'd the Midianites come from? Well, according to the word of God, in the New Testament, Romans chapter four tells us about Abraham and Sarah. Sarah in verses 19 and 20. And I didn't say this. The Bible says that Abraham said this. Abraham was 100 years old when he gave birth to Isaac, him and Sarah. Sarah was younger than him, but the Bible quotes them in Romans four verses 19 and 20 that he considered his body dead. That meant he couldn't have children. And her womb was dead. Both were dead. But he staggered not at the promise of God. And he kept faith. So he keeps this faith. So he being dead still believed God to give him a child. And you know the, you know the account. God miraculously gave him Isaac. So Isaac was the promise of God. Now bear in mind, before Isaac, he couldn't have kids. He was so old that it was physically impossible for him to have children. So we're dealing with impossibilities. Do you believe that God can do the impossible? One thing, you can't stagger at the promises of God. You have to accept it by faith. God doesn't do it because somebody else prays for it to happen, do you? You wouldn't understand what you had anyway. You've got to have faith in God and you can't stagger at the promise of God. Don't tell me God won't save you. I don't care what you've done. God says if you come by faith today and believe that Jesus has all power and that the blood can cleanse you of your sin, you can be saved. 
He does the impossible. Some of you are sitting in impossible situations right now. Things that seem too big for you. But God specializes in the impossible. There's nothing that God cannot do. So Isaac was the promise. God promised him seed. From his seed, he will become the father of all nations. And out of the father of many nations, his seed will be so that if you can count the, sea, the, the seashore, the sand that's there, you count it. See, if you can count the stars, you can count his seed. In other words, God's gonna bless his seed. God promised him a son. Isaac was the promise. But now wait a minute. Sarah dies. Genesis 25, you'll find that interesting, Genesis 25. Sarah dies and he remarries. He marries again, Keturah. Now remember, he couldn't have a child. God gave him the promise with Isaac. But according to Genesis 25 verses one and two, when he marries Keturah, he has six more kids. Sarah dies and he says, I'm not done. I mean, when God touched him, he touched him. I don't know if you're getting this yet or not. God not only does what he promises, he does more than he promises. Has God done more for you than you ever imagined that he would do? When you come, you just ask him to save you, but he just keeps doing more and more and more and more. I've got news for you. God's done great things in this church, but he's got more for us. There is more that God wants to pour out on us. God's done great things in your life, but God's got more for you. And we're in the text now. He's a Midianite. They're related. Distant relation. They are from the same father with two different mothers. But they're related. Their heritage. Moses coming from the seed of Isaac and Sarah, his mother. But the Midianites, because one of those boys' names was Midian. The Midianites came from the second wife that he had after Isaac was born. So here we've got an impossible dream that God says, I do more than what I said. Are you with me? So now they start journeying. Will you turn back to Numbers 10? And let me break this down real quick. Sometimes it does you good just to look at the text. We're on a journey. And in this journey, he's pleading with him to go to the Midianites and to join with them. Do you know the only reason we're having church today is to try to get you to come and go to heaven with us? I still believe there's only two destinies of the soul, heaven or hell. And if you're lost, you're on your way to hell and you don't have to go to hell. No one will send you to hell, you'll send yourself to hell. By not believing on the name of the only begotten of the Father, that's, that's your decision, that's your choice. But my job and this church's job is to try to tell you, we, we don't want that for you. We want you to go to heaven with us. Now, 
You may have come from a different background. They did. They came from a background of slaves. The Midianites are out in the desert. But they said, we want you to come and go with us. So he's making this cause. And he said, if you do, we'll do good unto you. We'll, we'll do thee good. It'd be a good thing for you to become a part of Rubyville today. And it'd be the best thing for you to become a part of the family of God today. And he said, we'll do you good. Doesn't mean that we're gonna face every situation that's perfect, but we're gonna do you good. You're in a church that does a lot of good for people. We can't do everything for everybody, but they do a lot of good because they know others have done good to them. And he said, I love this phrase, for the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. God spoke good concerning. Now, I know this is to Israel, but I want you to know as a child of God, God's spoken good concerning you. It is the devil that speaks evil concerning you. God speaks good concerning you. Young people, when your friends make fun of you for being a Christian and reading your Bible, breathe this in and let it soak in your heart and mind. It doesn't matter what they say. God spoke good concerning you. Young men, young women, when you go off to college and faith, face the atheists and the agnostics, and I've been there and I've dealt with them, and most people here that's had any type of secular education, they've dealt with them too. But when you hear them trying to tear you down and make you look unintellectual for your faith in Jesus Christ, and they embarrass you in front of dozens of people, lift your head up. God has spoken good concerning you. I don't care what the medical report said this week. I don't care how bad it was. God hath spoken good concerning you. I don't care what your accountant says about your business and the impossibility of it making it. God has spoken good concerning you. I don't care what the devil tells you about your children not coming to Christ and serving the Lord. God has spoken good concerning you. Right now, the enemy is telling churches everywhere, after the pandemic, you've lost all of these people and you're not getting anybody back. I've got news for them. God has spoken good concerning us. And the Lord says, I'm not finished yet. If I was finished, you'd be in heaven right now. But there's a lost world that needs Jesus. And God said, I've spoken good concerning you. There'll be a lot of people that will speak bad concerning you. Someone had contacted me this week and said, do you know what they're saying about the church and what they're saying about, about us? They don't like us. And I said, their brother the devil don't like us either. It's the truth. But by the way, God says, you're pretty special in my eyes. God said, I like you. Though the world forsake you, I love you. Though the world turn their back on you, 
I love you. God has spoken good concerning you. It doesn't mean that everything is good right now, but God says, remember, I've given you a place and you're on your way there. And while you're there, I'm gonna tell you every step of the journey, I'm with you and everything's all right and it's all good. Even when it doesn't look good, it's good. It's good. It's good. God has spoken good concerning you. And he said, will you come with us? And you know what he said? I will not. I will not. I'm gonna depart to my kindred. Can I tell you the reason people don't choose the Lord over the world? They don't like to leave the familiar. They feel comfortable in their environment. And when you come to the Lord, you've got to leave that behind. They had to leave Egypt behind them. They couldn't have Egypt and the place of promise. It's Egypt or the place of promise. But they couldn't have both. So when they got to that place that they had to choose, they they didn't like leaving that comfortable situation. It's like a lot of people right now. I talked talked about, uh, oh, I would say at least six or seven pastors this week. What are we going to do? What are we going? I said, what do you mean? Well, we're open back up and the people aren't coming. I said, of course not. They're comfortable now. They're comfortable not coming to church. What are we going to do? I said, well, you love them. You minister to them and you go get you a bunch of new ones. There are plenty of them out there. See, some of you get so distraught because you hear one person has left the church, but you don't look around at the dozens and dozens of dozens of new ones that God sends in because you were comfortable with the old one and you don't want to leave your seat and go meet somebody else and maybe have to get to know them. That's starting all over again. But listen, folks, you can't help what people do, but I can help what I do. And I've made my mind up. God has spoken good concerning me and God has given me a place and I'm on my journey and I'm not going empty. Thank God I'm laden down with heaven's blessings. I'm looking toward heaven and saying God is on us and with us. Will you come and go with us? That's the question. And he said, if you'll come, he said, look at verse 31, for as much as thou knowest how we are in camp in the wilderness and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. Do you know what he's saying? I've got all these people and I was in the wilderness with you, but now I've got these thousands, if not up to a million and a half people with me in a wilderness I've got to take care of. I need to quit, but I think this will bless your soul. He said, you've got eyes. You know the wilderness. Now, how'd they know the wilderness? They've lived in the wilderness. And he said, we got to make it through what you live in. And we need your eyes to get through it. And you know where to tell us to go camp. You know where the water's at. You know where the help's at. You know where the shade's at. You know the best places that we can go. I want you to be our eyes. And by the way, he said, let me tell you this. He said, we've got the blessings, 
the desert has given you nothing. We've got the blessings, but you've got the vision. And if somehow we can get the blessings together with the vision, we're gonna make it together through and we'll get to the land of promise. Do you know something? Every time you go through a dry place in your life, God can send you somebody who has lived in that same desert and survived that same desert. Every time the doctor says you've got cancer, God can send somebody to you to say, hey, I had that same cancer and let me tell you what the Lord did for me. Every time you get to a place that you feel like it's too big for you, God can send somebody to you to say, wait a minute, I've been through that. Too late to tell me now that God can't do it. I'm on the other side of it and I've already got victory over it and what God has done for me he'll do for you. Because he said all the goodness he gave to us he's going to give to you. And every blessing he gives us we're going to share with you. We're going to give it to you. We're not going to hold it in. Now that seems pretty simple But do you know how many of you all tell me all the time, oh, preacher, that service was so great and I felt so blessed. I just, I just, I just couldn't hardly hold it in. Why did you? That's why God gave it to you. To share it with us. I may not be the one shouting and praising God today, but watching you shout and praise God through the middle of your desert gives me strength and courage to say, Lord, I know what they're going through and you've got your hand on them and they're still blessed in the middle of all of it and God, you're gonna see me through all of it too. He will get you through it.